this week on Empath Man. It's a void. It's a plane. No, it's Empath Man. Going about his day-to-day under the unassuming alter ego Mr. Empathman. When trouble abounds... Sorry, guys. Hey, sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting. Sorry I bumped into you there. It's me, Empath Man. Suddenly, Empath Man's arch nemesis arrives. Yeah, ha, ha, ha. It is I, Narcissisto. Fuck you, Empath Man. You a suck. Ha, 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 ha. Will Empath Man apologize until he collapses from exhaustion? Or will he harness his power and stop Narcissisto? Find out next week on Empath Man. What up? Hello there, Michelle. <laughs> How are ya? <laughs> Welcome. T, you had such a great idea of doing diving deeper into um empathy and empathic qualities and kind of going into the whole rampant of the facets of yeah. being an empath. So why don't you take us down how you got to this topic? Sure. So, you know, you and I are empath and a lot of people we know and a lot of people we work with are very empathic. So what I've noticed is, you know, it's a hard thing. Let's back up a second. It, being an empath is a hard thing because it can take its toll on you to feel what, you know, other people's emotions and, and, and the emotions of the collective and, and those things deeply yourself and requires pretty much daily maintenance. If you're trying to, if you've decided that what's best for you is to offset that, that in order to get through your your day in, in your life, which I think a, a lot of people or most people probably do to some degree. So you have to stay on top of it. And it's easy to, it's a cyclical thing. So it's, it can be easy to, to when things are, are going smooth because of what's going on around you, it's easy to sort of let your guard down a little bit with your, your maintenance. And then things ramp up. And especially like in the collective, if just things that are going on are creating uncertainty and anxiety, it's just it be, it being an empath. It's just it's you. It's who you are. So so that that vibration of anxiety and uncertainty is just there, right? And um, you have to actually do work to make a delineation between this is. Me feeling what's going on around me, but isn't necessarily my experience, right? And so that's a high-level summary, and there's a lot of stuff that we could unpack there, like like what is an empath? What does it mean to be an empath? Like what do we, you know, but sure. yeah, that's my uh, my executive summary. All right, let's back it up. You said, what's an empath and are you an empath? Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to go into some telltale signs that you're an empath. And then I'd like to ask a series of questions that people can put a yes or a no next to. And then we can score that to see if you are indeed an empath. Does that sound good? Yeah. Love it. All right. Cool. A telltale sign of an empath is being introverted. And that's 
only because that doesn't mean that there's not moments of being, you know, extrovert and, and being able to mingle within groups, but being overwhelmed in large groups is very common. Many times an empath feels so overwhelmed that rather than feeling like positively impacted with people and in groups and being in that environment, you actually feel depleted. And that has caused a shift where you prefer one-on-one conversations or small groups. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another sign that you're an empath is you're easily impacted by movies, images, sounds, people describing things in maybe a very descriptive manner that can be off-putting. This could be tears coming up when you're watching a movie or seeing an image. You may experience emotions behind something as a, it could be a photograph, a drawing, again, a movie. There are moments that have such a big effect on you that actually after you've seen the image or whatever you've been exposed to, it has a lasting effect for long after that lingers. A big one is getting lost in relationships. And that doesn't mean just romantic relationships. It means when you start to bond or you start to form new relationships, so you get a new job, something along that nature. An empath has a history of absorbing others' emotions and experiences. And so this is a hyper-stimulating experience for an empath. And this is where boundaries get blurred. We tend to feel swallowed in these new experiences This can become very overwhelming and can cause people to not be able to keep a job for long after they get it or sustain um, a long relationship. You absorb others' emotions. That's a huge one. Being in tune is one thing, but experiencing the emotions is another. And this is what is a huge sign of an empath is that the emotions of others around you become your own. And you become so exhausted emotionally and physically that you convince yourself that there's no way this could be somebody else's because I'm physically feeling this. I'm emotionally feeling this. But it is just absorbing the environment around you. Mm -hmm. And the most important sign is the intuitive level. Got feelings that that end up being true. Radar of people usually dead on. There's this positive way of being highly intuitive that we can use to guide our life, but being empathic, what we have done is we've imprisoned ourselves from this intuitive process because we deny that they're real. Yeah. And I like your explaining that, how it works, because these signs are not laws, right? Exactly. So I heard some statistic that like 30% of empaths are extroverted. And, and so like, if you're extroverted, that doesn't mean you're ruled out. Right. It's just it it, it tends to be introversion because you can be extroverted. But the idea of going to a shopping mall or a bar or a place where there's lots of different people and all their energies around you gives you anxiety. That's at really the heart of that indicator that that Mm -hmm. that's because you're affected by that. Right. You're literally affected by that. I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? Not at all. Okay. Mm Also, I know many empaths who say this to me. I don't know why. I feel like I should say this. Please do. They'll say, I used to love watching true crime and serial killer stuff. Now I can't. It bothers me too much. Mm-hmm. Right? And in each individual case, and there have been a number of them where people have said something along those lines to me or horror movies or whatever, 
I can see, because these are people I've known for, for quite some time, that there was a maturation, a spiritual maturity and a, mm-hmm. an awakening mm-hmm. in between those time periods where yes. they used to be able to, and now they can't. And I just want to throw that out there because of the fluidity of it, that th- these are indicators, but that you might be someone who, who no one would have described as empathic 10 years ago. And then you don't, you don't know, under, you know, something's changed within you. You don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a heightened, and, and, this, and becoming an empath is what it is. It's a heightened sensitivity to the energies around you, mm-hmm. particularly of the people around you, right? For sure. We meet ourselves along our path. And there are times where being empathic has been shut off. Because as much as it is a survival, you know, something that has helped us survive, being empathic, I'm going to probably jump into this too soon. We're going to get to this later. But being empathic is also a trauma response. And we're going to get into what helps develop an empath. And it will lead into that. Like sometimes we can't meet ourselves at that level because it was never safe. That doesn't mean we weren't experiencing it and feeling it. It just wasn't safe to fully embrace it. Mm -hmm. I want to go back just for a second and have everybody grab a piece of paper and we're going to go over some questions. There's 20 questions on this and we will score it at the end. They're not, you know, super in-depth questions, but just put a yes or a no. Whenever first comes to you, don't second guess it. Just a wire, yes or a no or check marks. You can even just put tick marks because I just need the final count at the end. Number one, have you been labeled as overly sensitive, shy, or introverted? Do you regularly get overwhelmed or anxious? Do arguments or yelling make you ill? Do you often feel like you don't fit in? Are you drained by crowds and need alone time to revive yourself? Are you overstimulated by noise, odors, or nonstop talkers? Do you have chemical sensitivities or can't tolerate scratchy clothes? Do you prefer taking your own car places so you can leave early if you want to? Do you overeat to cope with stress? Are you afraid of becoming suffocated by intimate relationships? Do you startle easily? Do you react strongly to caffeine or medications? Do you have a low pain threshold? Do you tend to socially isolate? Do you absorb other people's stress, emotions, or symptoms? Are you overwhelmed by multitasking and prefer doing one thing at a time? Do you replenish yourself in nature? Does it take a long time to recuperate after being with difficult people 
Do you feel better in small cities or country rather than large cities? Do you prefer one-on-one interactions or small group gatherings rather than large ones? This test is by Judy Orloff, MD, and she has a self-assessment test on being an empath. And then it's on psychology today, should you want to research this any further. I hope that everyone has tallied up. If not, take a moment to do that. If you've answered yes to one to five of these questions, then you are partially empathic. If you responded six to 10 questions, yes, you have moderate empathic tendencies. Responding yes to 11 and, and 11 to 15 of these means that you have strong empathic tendencies. And answering yes to more than 15 means you are full-blown empathic, which is 1% of the population, which you say, okay, Michelle, well, if that's the case, and it's only 1%, how come so many of us are? Because 1% of 8 billion people is 80 million people walking this planet have this 1% of this rare personality type that is now not just recognized by the metaphysical and spiritual community. We've been talking about empath for so long, but also in the medical community, psychology specifically, because what it is shining light on now is that there's been enough studies shown and done that there is a real link between the level of empathicness that leads our life and trauma that we experienced as a child. And it's not the typical trauma that most people would think. It's the trauma of having an unpredictable adult and or environment where hypersensitivity and hypervigilance was a form of survival. And therefore, you became real good at reading the non-physical cues that exist around you so much so that still to this day, this is how a childhood trauma marker, you could tell the subtle changes in someone's face so much so that when it changes, you're waiting for what is about to ensue on you. You're that hyper-attuned that you are, that even a subtle change in movement is an indicator that there is something that you need to be concerned coming down the pipeline. That is what sharpens empathic qualities, is the unpredictability and instability of the environment and the adults in your life. And if you're exposed to that over and over and over again for multiple, multiple years, the empathic normal qualities of a human become laser-focused. And it is what you lead your life by because being able to predict what was coming down the pipeline was literally important for your survival because it was that barbaric for you growing up and that we were that hyper attuned and hyper stimulated that has followed you through life. When we say, oh, we're empathic, that is a beautiful gift and it is a psychic ability, 100%. But it is also a trauma response Mm. to look at. Yeah. And making me think of if you're walking down the street and um someone bumps into you and you go sorry right and they bumped into you i'm sure you can identify with this michelle because i'm this way right uh like think for a second what that indicates that something happened to you that you couldn't predict and wasn't your fault but you're apologizing to get out ahead of get out in front of what right and i I think it's just a simple analogy that that sort of speaks to that 
type of trauma that you're talking about. That's so good because that is like the easiest way to be like, hey, just ask yourself this. Do you apologize constantly? Mm. Constantly. For everything. I apologize to people that bump into me. I apologize for, I apologize to objects that I bump into, like a table. What? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hypervigilance, hyper, sorry, because you were responsible for the emotional stability of very emotionally unpredictable people there's a lot in the especially with the whole new age community and these labels this is why we can't stand labels even being an empath is trending oh it's not you should not be wearing this like a badge of honor being raw and us exposing that we're empaths is saying like we have some fucking severe shit in there that shaped us we're not saying this because if we think it's cool we're saying it is we have trauma that shaped that empathicness that we all have to be the only thing that we feel safe surviving in because we have been gaslit our whole lives. What you experienced, you didn't experience. What you see, you didn't see. What you think, you don't think. That's not real. Overly sensitive, discredited, all of those things. This is a complete sadness. There's a real sad quality to that that I don't think we look at because the whole love and light community has got their fucking hands on it. Yeah. Just hypervigilance from childhood trauma that makes you an empath. That's what that is. And you probably find yourself, not only are you an empath, but most empaths probably find themselves in very imbalanced relationship dynamics. They feel drained being around certain people. Um, You get used to being used by people and take it for granted. You probably feel like you give more than you receive. You do more than you receive and that you're in a lot of one-sided relationships. And it seems to be a recurring theme. That is another marker that you were part of that 1%. I feel like I should point out that like a a side effect of that is being like highly agreeable. Mm -hmm. Um, Appeasing. Right. Because you're appeasing. Exactly. Yep. And highly agreeable people will argue on someone else's behalf before they will argue on their own. Or... Or with a uh, an intensity that they would not apply to themselves, mm-hmm. and so it's just another indicator there that if that's baked into how you operate socially, well, because right? yeah, there's so many challenges that come with that on a social level, on so many levels. Like things that were coming up as you were speaking were being an empath. Like you're trying to always fix other people's situations and problems mm-hmm. or you feel like like talks become fucking trying to figure out and understand things. And, and most people can't understand why an empath needs details and needs to describe in detail. All I can feel is the collective right now. And right now, the empaths are fucking fierce. Why is that so strong right now? I think all 80 million empaths are going to be listening to this for some fucking reason. Yeah. It just feels thick with that empathic quality of, holy shit, I have only heard the empath and the new age community of being this fucking highly sought after gift. And I never resonated with that. And now I'm understanding, you know, the, the dark empath. It's being able to go into the dark stuff to the shadow stuff. So I think we got a little bit of, of that probably heaviness of this going into the whole love and light thing and only being exposed to the empathic thing. I know we just totally shifted gears. But as I started talking about the challenges empaths face, 
all I can feel is the collective right now. I don't like it at all. I don't want to be in there. That's how weird it feels. Well, yeah. Yeah, but what's going on akashically for that? Well, for one, like what you just said that like it, it may be a beautiful gift, but there's like the other side of that coin. Right. And and two, we're collectively waking up to a lot of things of things simultaneously right now mm -hmm. and being empathic feels collectively i'm not saying this is truth this mm -hmm. is how it feels collectively like uh an additional obstacle in in getting by in in the world with, with the way things are right now oh yeah mm -hmm. i think that may be what you're feeling yeah Okay, so I don't want to go there. <laughs> like, I don't want to go that far. Can mm. we go back to the hypervigilance that happens when we're children? Like, what happens to the empath and why we become this this intensity that we would rather run from? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yep. Okay. And then, and then, how to harness it from right. there? So, so how how you got it, and then how to harness it? Right. All right. I guess we should go back to like kind of like child child development one on one. A child learns how to be loved. They learn how to feel worth due to whatever has been imposed to them by the adults. There are specific standards. Like children understand what is needed and what they need to meet in order to feel love from the adults. So if you are in a toxic environment, think about it. They, a child will quite literally become what they think others want them to be. So if the expectations are fucked up, or abusive or not healthy, it's going to lead to a complete disconnect from the true self. Elevated levels of empathy is a huge indicator in childhood trauma. There was a study that was, that was done on that, and I hope that we can reference it. But the study examined the long-term effects of trauma, and it came out that traumatic events not only affected the psychosocial development but it affected the biological development as well and the impact of said trauma was presented all the way through adulthood and even to death in some of the participants so this is we're talking like lifelong stuff that's that's caused by a child only learning love out of certain expectations and also being in a highly unpredictable environment mm. It's a learned condition response. The adults in our lives show us how we're supposed to communicate. They show us what we're supposed to be doing. Most of the time, an, um, somebody who we would call empathic or an empath was brought up in like a passive aggressive environment that made you guess uh, a lot, like wondering if you did something wrong. Even when you didn't think you did something wrong, you were made to feel you did something wrong goes back to that apologizing thing. You felt like like you'd walk in a room and maybe they'd give you like the like the stank eye or they were so unpredictable that you would tiptoe because you were afraid that they were going to rage on you or punish you or you'd get that look of disapproval. They made very passive aggressive comments or passing comments or hinted things to you that made you think like did I do something? Am I what what's wrong? What's wrong with me? We were probably scolded deeply too that's another thing that happens made to feel that you were ungrateful or undeserving 
or that you were lying about things that were true in your world. You were ridiculed. Nothing felt safe. It was the times where you learned to see your sense of worth and who you were. It was developed through a warped lens. I don't want to say only because of a narcissist, but a lot of the time because of narcissistic or emotionally unavailable people within the dynamic. Mm. We can go deeper and deeper and deeper when we become hyper-tuned. This is a subconscious thing that's happening. This is a millisecond. Your subconscious has trained itself to be a fucking detective. It is going to be able to find everything. <laughs> Slight changes in mood, facial expressions, the way someone's breathing, um, the way they're sitting. All of these things is your subconscious way to jump into detective mode and read the room and act accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> right on, I'm, Michelle. I'm not, I don't know anything about this. It's not, this has not been my part of my journey at all. Oh yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, it wasn't until adulthood that my trauma started really showing up. And that's when I found myself. And sometimes I still do in relationships, friendships, um, business dynamics where everything seemed good and you pour into it. Then after a while, I would find myself in this loop of same person, different name. And I would all of a sudden it would be like, I'm the fixer. And I would start going above and beyond and I would lose myself and I'd lose my grounding and I'd become nervous and worried and I'd internalize or catastrophize and I'd go nuts into this spiral. And I was like, holy shit, it is not my responsibility to make everybody else in a calm state. And it was causing me to be completely chaotic. It shows up in adulthood in the way that we interact with people and what, how we show up for others and not show up for ourselves. Give me some of your go-to techniques because you have, you're, I mean, we giggle and I call you Clark and, you know, we make, we, we make light of it, but like you quite literally live in a different dynamic that you have to have coping skills with your empathic qualities as an adult and how they've shaped you because otherwise they would be debilitating in your line of work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I literally can't, I wouldn't have the job that I have. I wouldn't be able to, if I couldn't get a handle on it because there's a lot of confrontation and saying no in the role that I have, which is in cybersecurity. And, and so that's often competing with business needs, right? We're slowing things down and saying, uh, we got to do this securely in the right way and that it's going to take more time and money and so than you were expecting. And so those aren't conversations where I can afford to be like, yeah, I see you're mad. Just forget about it. Never mind. Go ahead. I can't do that. Right. Or I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in. So, so it took a lot of work to, I had to, it's using discernment, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're contending with yourself. There's an internal battle going on. Mm. Right. And, and so, yes. So discernment's very, extremely important because chances are the other person you're talking to, well, at least in my situation at work is not empathic or not as empathic as, as I am. And so now that is what defines a situation that calls for harnessing your empathic abilities and, and having a good handle on, on when and how do you, you know, to use them and, and, and developing the skills 
to allow you to do that. So there, having that discernment, first of all, of this is a situation where, so it's funny, like I'll, I'll say sometimes to people that I trust that I work with, I don't go to work to mind people's feelings, right? And that sounds probably brash, like unnecessarily harsh, but I have to draw that line. I have to, I, I'm, I'm a serious empath. And so I have to know what am I, what are the situation that I'm, I'm operating within here, right? What's the environment and that I'm operating within here and, and the goals within that. And then I don't, you, you can't get rid of it. It's not like you can just shut it off, but you can manage it and you can also use it. So people it's, you know, this is reminding me of Michelle. I'm sorry. I'm just going off like this, but yeah, this is reminding me of when, after we recorded plant medicine and I texted Danny and Vanessa and Carla and you about how I had to jump on a work meeting right after that. Mm-hmm. And that I was like talking about a technical thing and was like, these servers, you know, should have been saying like, these servers can't be operating with this vulnerability on it and you have to shut this down. And I was like, thank you, Dan, for, you know, putting the care into this and like, <laughs> right. And, and, and this like really heartfelt thing and like really like empowering <laughs> speech to this guy that I worked with because I was on cloud nine from recording plant medicine, but (laughs) that is actually a very good example of how to, how to use my empathic abilities when I need to not use them. Right. Which is that I need to, the, the conversation and the goal of the conversation is such that it's counterproductive to me to not represent myself and my needs and or if it's at work then then the the needs of whatever but you can do that and also you you, so you're feeling something coming off of something and and you can say that in a way that's appropriate to just validate that you can imagine whatever how frustrating this must be and with, you know, and for me, with my work example, with the tight timelines that you're up against the budget that you have, that this is, that this is frustrating. And so I'm sorry, but, and, but, and then, and then I deliver the message and people don't usually react badly to that. Right. Because you're validating and acknowledging them. And if you're empathic, the way you and I are, Michelle, it's often in a way that they're they're often being validated in a way that they are typically not. Uh, that's a, that's a very rare form of validation in their life because you're an empath, right. ba- basically, right? And so that you can sense things that that other people aren't sensing or maybe don't trust themselves to speak to. I feel like I went all over the place. You just like lined us up perfectly for how we can give examples and describe how to use these empathic qualities as a superpower rather than a trauma response or having them use you and be able to use your discernment in certain situations. Yeah, well, and, but first. Yes. You're right that there's like that discernment part 
is the hardest part. Well, it was for me, like it was, it, or I won't say the hardest part. I'll say it was the most significant milestone in getting a, and a handle on my empathic abilities was the part uh, where you're, you have to, because everyone else is more important and their needs are more important to you than you if you're an empath. So you have to first understand that that's not appropriate, right? Yeah. That that's, I don't know if appropriate is the right word, but I think you know what I mean, that, that that's not what's best for you. So that alone, that, that appeasing other people is not always what's best for you. That's a fucking heavy thing. That's a heavy thing to have to, you know, reconcile. (laughs) And and, and then from there, (laughs) and then from there, you have to say, well, where are circumstances where it's worth it? Where, where, where really it's more, it's really actually important that I, I'm representing myself first and my needs first. And yes, just then towards self always number one. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, maybe the first opportunity that comes along to do that is with someone like you're in like a long-term relationship with, or a family member. And so like, it's not going to go good, you know, or, or it's not going to be like an easy first time trying to any, right. Maybe not. And, and so then there's dealing with that and that there's no fucking help online fucking manual for this. Yeah, exactly. You know, so, so you fucking chicken out. That's what I did. Yep. You know, so, and I think that's, that's a really important piece Mm -hmm. that I missed on my rant there. You know, we use our empathic qualities at the detriment of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's not supposed to do. We're supposed to be empowered by our by these abilities. And because of the waking up to the trauma response, because of understanding that the discernment towards self is important, there's just so many layers of being empathic that's being unpacked right now. Mm-hmm. So if you're a listener of ours, you're probably familiar with this term. You've heard us say this. We've had podcasts about this. We've talked about this in depth before. But you may be new if you have been aligned to this podcast and you're kind of new to the whole empathic thing. It's a lot to unpack. It's a lot to unpack when you realize that most of the relationships are built on the fact that you have been a team player and and people pleasing. (laughs) You know, when you start saying no to the people you've been people pleasing and they give you pushback, you realize those are not the people that have authentic connections with you. And sometimes that comes with a heavy title that that person plays in your life like yep. spouse family member co-worker boss whatever highly sensitive people make up like 30 20 30 percent of the of the population but in that category goes to the empathic quality of that one percent if there's 80 million people walking on the planet right now that are are in this category how can we use this as a superpower? Like, if we're highly sensitive and only attuned, well, not only, but really are picking up in the collective, which is usually negative or bad vibes, how would we even use that ability as a superpower? This well, is- my first question is, how do you want to use it as a superpower? Yeah, exactly. If you could. If well, you could just hit an on switch. Right? And... Right. For me, when I feel bad vibes, that used to be my fucking fight or flight now. 
I think of that as where is there information to be picked up on within this room? Uh-huh. When I feel things, it's not to be like, holy shit, something feels off and flip out. It's to be like, tune in deeper. These are all of these things that we're attuned to are to get us to tune in to another level of frequency. It's never the starting, it's never the ending point, it's the starting point. Uh-huh. So our ability to be heightened and sensitive to the energy is so we can go deeper into why the energy is feeling like that. And before you know it, there'll be a feeling flavor, a signature that comes with that. And you're going to start to understand the language, but read the vibe as your platform for going deeper, not your platform of flipping out if something feels off. Mm-hmm. Um, escaping. Or escaping. Feels yeah. off. Right. It's a, it's a type of emotional intelligence, by the way, that you're learning through this. Yeah. So you're just learning a level of emotional intelligence, which comes with understanding how to use these things as a tool, because our tool, we are meant to use our tools. Tools this strong end up using us. <laughs> you yep. really get a grip on it. And it's hard, man. I do it daily. You so do you. It's a never-ending process. You hear us talking about superpowers all the time. Like, oh, it's your superpower. It's your superpower. It's true. I yeah. thought we were that 1%. That, was it shaped through some trauma? Yeah. Would it change anything? Fucking no. The fact that I can operate in the non-physical is so dope to me. But yet, yet, what that causes is extreme worry about things that have not happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> and... You project into this potentiality of problem before they even are problems or seeing the climax to problems before they even peak. And yeah, so and you probably, and, and, and if you're anything like me, you're running through all of that in your head when you're supposed to be sleeping and you have a terrible relationship with sleep because of it. I want to throw that out Absolutely. there. Absolutely. <laughs> that goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Yep. You can use this ability to pick up on potentiality as a way for you to be able to prepare should heightened emotions or unpredictability happen. Rather than you being attuned to unpredictability and waiting for the shoe to fall, what if you're attuned to that unpredictability because you're supposed to remind yourself to remain calm in your own storm or the other st- or the storm of others? Presence and calmness is emotional mastery that we all need to work on. I can't believe you've never seen Star Wars, Michelle, because like you're just describing the scenes that happen in, in those movies with, <laughs> with the force where, where he'll, you know, a Jedi will be trying to locate someone with the force. And then you'll see that they're just bombarded with just the energy and, and just, just all this audible stuff coming in around them. And then and then the Jedi master says, calm your mind mm-hmm. and it will come through to you. Yes. The answer will come through to you, and it's like you just ch- totally described that. And I'm right. should I have a lightsaber? Yeah, totally. Not? Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, the force is strong with this one. I do know mm-hmm. the lingo. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the hardest things I think for both you and I, just because of our personal connection, I'm speaking on your behalf. I hope that's okay. Yeah. Um, is the hardest part of the of the empathic ability to use as a superpower is like this awareness and knowing of what others are feeling, hyper-tuned to it, knowing what they need without anybody telling you a fucking thing. And, and the urge and the need to act on said yeah. things that you were yes. getting. <laughs> yeah. Because I've been like, hey, hi, want me to fix it? Hey. Like, because I can see it. And it's been the hardest thing to know, 
just because you can doesn't mean you should. Yeah. Let me put it like this. I am hyper attuned to the needs and the abilities of other people around me. Mm -hmm. I can't help but become the friend you need. I can't help but become that person. I, I literally morph into that because I'm so attuned to people's energy fields. Mm -hmm. That's so hard to be that in tuned as a friend and or connection and then not intuitively see what's coming down their pipeline, and not try to steer the boat. You can't have personal relationships like that. You can't. And it's the hardest part of my empathy and my empathic qualities and the psychic part that comes out is having that direct line and not being and trying not to tap into that so I can actually have real relationships. Well, you're it's one sided yeah. what you're doing. And it's kind of manipulative a little bit. I feel it gives us a leg up. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm speaking. I've even you. heard people say to me or to another empath, uh, you're good for the ego. You're good for my ego. Right. Oh, no. So yeah. because they're struggling with something and, and the empath is like, but you can do it. Yeah. And, and you, you know. Oh, because we're the best empowerment coaches on the fucking Right. Yeah. <laughs> there was another one. That, and I started writing it down. And now I can't find the piece of paper that I wrote it down. Oh, you're really good at problem solving. Dude, crisis is going down. You fucking find me. Yeah. I am your girl. I got you. Really good at problem solving. This is where I think one of the best parts of being empathic is, is because you can use the problem solving that you share that skill with somebody who's struggling and knowing that you can help somebody. That's the most fulfilling thing on the planet to see somebody struggling and knowing that you have a solution to their problem. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> That's the superpower being a really good problem solver. And being able to use that skill. And most of the time, it's getting people stuck off of a problem in their emotional field. Well, so with the, the problem-solving thing, you see, I keep, my brain keeps going back to my struggle to use my empathy, my empathicness as for its gifts and, and, and not to my detriment. So that caveat of, of, but having the discernment to know when is appropriate is, is a big one because it's, I'm seeing it as, all right, now is a, a time for me to focus on myself where I'll, I'll, I'll try to calm that, get more grounded and, and, and calm that external hypersensitivity because that's what's appropriate. But then the flip side isn't, okay, now I'll let it out and I'll fix everything. Mm -hmm. The flip side is like, now I let it out. And if I don't have a good handle on it, I'm just going to be like a balloon in the way. Yep, for sure. Right. So there's a degree of, okay, I'm letting it out, but I need some focus and some clarity and some calm on, on how, on just the, the magical process that is understanding what's coming in, not reacting to it, interpreting it and responding to it, which I think everyone develops to a certain degree. It's just when that only gets you so far, if you're doing it subconsciously, there needs to be a, that, that it, it, it improves 
much greater if there's a deliberate and conscious attempt to to do that. I have found from for myself and a tool that I give my clients when practicing discernment is creating a empathic shield or an energetic shield. And this is always fun to do when you're overwhelmed or out in in that feeling space. And maybe you're in a crowd or in an environment where you're 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 having trouble using discernment on is this is what I'm about to do empathically because I'm feeling for somebody or feeling guided towards this. Is this at the detriment of myself? Is create a shield so you can gain calmness and then clarity will come through and you'll know whether you are being of service or at the detriment of yourself. One way that we can do this is it closing your eyes and breathing deeply and just kind of centering yourself and don't spend too much thought on that. It can be a couple of breaths. Don't force it. Don't labor it. Let it be natural, but just breathe deeply and fill your lungs. And you're going to focus on your solar plexus. And for people who don't know where that is, that's a chakra. It's located in your, around your belly button. And this is your powerhouse. And the color associated here is yellow. So you want to picture a golden light. And this golden light is emanating from the chakra. And it is coming into the chakra. And it is flowing this light throughout your entire body. Visualize this light moving outside of your body and enveloping you absolutely completely. Do the same thing with your root chakra, which is red. And when you visualize that root chakra, chakra activating and oozing light in every direction, internally and externally, you want to picture that red and golden light intertwining within each other. And then picture that bubble that you've created around yourself bouncing information literally right off of that light shield. It is not even allowing it in for a moment. You, and this will happen. It sound that process, me describing it was longer than it will take to get you there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and you can recreate that shield as many times as you want, but this will help you get into that space of clarity where things are bouncing off you because you can then ask yourself a question while you're there or when you get out of that bubble. Is this for myself? Is this helping myself by giving? Or is this hurting myself by giving? Then it gets you to tune in when you're not used to tuning into yourself. Being empathic and using these abilities as a superpower requires you to find some worth and understand, you know, how to trust yourself and how to answer your own questions and be of service to yourself the way you would be to whomever you're trying to help at that moment. I know I'm giving concrete examples like helping somebody. It doesn't need to be that. It can be in any environment where you're having a hard time deciding what is in your best interest. Create an energy shield. Create mm. that bubble around yourself. Love that, Michelle. That's going to be like a greatest hit moment. Oh. <laughs> totally. Well, it'll be. That's so good. You know what I do? What? So, you know, I sing, right? Like, I'm a singer. So... I, when I don't know what to do, just exactly what you described when I'm in that situation, I'll go somewhere and sing, but, but properly. So it's a lot, really loud. And then, so it's funny because people will be home and, and, and they'll be like, why did Tony just go into the bathroom and start belting out? I just called to say, I love you. Like, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing, but, um. It's this 
focus for me that is both needing to be very in tune with my body, right? And, mm -hmm. and having a, a, a single-minded clarity of thought in order to execute it properly. Mm -hmm. And while being in tune with my body, understand the dynamics of projecting what is coming out of my body, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. which, you know, the projecting part is very solar plexusy. And, mm -hmm. and, and understanding what I'm doing with my diaphragm and, and my vocal cords is very root. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the parallel with that, with my own bizarre That's a uh, tactic. Parallel. Yeah, no, I love that parallel. That's so interesting, you know, how we interlace that meaning within our life and see the parallel. And that was a really great way of showing a very big part of your life and how you made a parallel. This mm -hmm. Singing is a huge part of your life. Yeah. I've been trying to get you to go back and do a band forever. I wish that you would do that. I'm on like the cusp of it. Like uh, really I've been talking it. to everyone and been trying to work out where and when. So yeah, that may I be happening soon. Yeah, good. I think that's great. One of the things that just came to my head is we can't give what we don't have. And so we have mm. to show ourselves empathy first. Yeah. It's, it's a huge, that's a huge learning curve. And you had said something earlier about like, perhaps this is new and you know, you're, you're waking up to the fact of, of this ability. That's a great place to start is you got to show empathy to yourself first because you don't know what it is you're giving unless you know what it is you're giving and how you're going to know unless you give it to yourself. Uh, yeah. So yeah. It's, oh God. What? You know, if people, if we empaths treated ourselves the way that we treat people we care about, I don't, I, I, I don't even know that I could picture what the long-term effect would be oh. if every empath yeah. started yeah. taking care of themselves and, and treating themselves the way they would tell someone that they care deeply for to take care of themselves. Because that's what we do. We separate how we're feeling is a different thing in our mind from how other people are feeling. Yeah. I think there's just a lot, there's a lot to be gained from, from turning that around on ourselves, mm -hmm. both for us and the people we interact with. You know, you said something about taking care of ourselves. And I think that that's an important point to talk about that. There is a spiritual and empathic hygiene. It is imperative, just like you brush your teeth, that you clean your energy field for a day to day, something that's attainable for you. It's in the shower picture the water not only hitting your head but cleaning your chakras and your energy field and releasing what's no longer serving you and what wasn't yours to begin with or what you've picked up on or the old narratives you're feeding yourself or the blockages to what you want and picture it going down the drain do it as many times as you can remember to do it wash the energy field and the same is true for setting up the energy field around you make sure that you are intentful and impeccable with what it is that you want to and also put a filter, put something just like that energy shield we just did. Doesn't need to be, again, as intense. It can just be, hey, put a filter on my energy field. Only neutral or higher gets in. I don't want to be sucked down by the collective today. I don't want to take on the pain and the sadness and the emotions of others today. I want to stay in my lane and I want to only be empowered and fulfilled from a neutral or higher place. You are allowed to put that filter on 
a million times a day, but try to do it at least once a day. Mm -hmm. Trying to charge the other batteries. Have a regimen and a routine that works because it's something yeah. that can't be turned off, right? And I don't think that most empathic people want it to be turned off. They just want to know how to manage it. And when we have been plagued, because a lot of people who have empathic qualities have chronic illnesses, letting yourself down, saying yes when you want to say no, and, and, um, oh, there goes the people pleaser again, T. Goes back to that yes man, right? Mm. Saying yes, saying yes. Because the chronic illness, I, this is a theory. I don't have any reason. So I'm not saying that, take this with a grain of salt, but I feel fibromyalgia probably plagues a lot of empathic people. That's mm. inflammation of the nerves. Yeah. That's a stuffing down of pain. If we don't say it, we store it. If we don't experience it, we store it. If we avoid it, we start, we store it. So fibromyalgia is like an off firing of like, I, we don't have any more storage space, sir. Yeah. The people pleasing thing. This episode's fucked. We're running all over the place, I but know, I'm just going to keep going. I know. Do you, you probably don't know what this is, but there's a sh cartoon, a kid's show called Bluey. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay. It's on Disney and it's an Australian animated show about a family, but they're dogs, but everyone in the world is dogs. But it's, uh, it was made by this guy who has two, two, who is a father of two daughters. And so he wanted to make a show about his experience doing that. And, and the adults who have kids who watch the show usually end up liking the kid, the show more than kids do. And so we were watching this one episode where the dad took the the younger daughter's last French fry at dinner. And then she was mad. And so they were like, all right, we can play this game. And you know, when you say dance mode, I, then we have to mom or dad has to dance uh, no matter what we're doing out in public. And they do that. And then the mom's like, Oh, can I use one dance mode on your dad? And like, okay. And then at the end she gets really sad and she's depressed and they get in the car and, and the mom says, uh, are you sad because people keep taking things away from you without asking? And she said, yes. And like, oh, when dad took your French fry and when I took your dance mode and, and, and yeah, she says, yes. And then they, one of them points out, but you did ask. And then the mom says, I see sometimes does your outside voice say yes when your inside voice means no. And like I was watching this episode with, with my daughter and my wife and like some of my in-laws and everyone was like, oh, like, cause it clicked that she was people pleasing. Mm. And it was a cool demonstration of both how it affects the people who do it and how to, and, and, and then in the case of the show where it's parents and a kid, like how to get also how they got to the, the real cause of the issue. And that just made me think of that when, with the, the people pleasing thing that that's what we do. I have right? a question. It's a sacrifice. So go ahead. I want to know, as we're talking about people pleasing and listening to that example and in the back of my mind and saying, where are you people pleasing right now, Michelle? Is there areas in your life where you people please, where you catch yourself and you're like, fuck, I'm doing it again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, me Absolutely. Too. Don't do it. 
anywhere near to the extent that I used to. I feel like I probably do it more so with like the people closest to me now that I really look at it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's more like that. It's more like like I'm talking husband, son, parents, sisters. Like, it's yeah, people pleasing. It's and I look it's back more unchecked like with those relationships. Yeah, unchecked, I like that. It's unchecked. right, yeah. and where I used to be more of a universal people pleaser, and I'm not that at all <laughs> now. At this point I'm in my life, yeah, I'm a recovering people pleaser. For yeah, for. For those types of relationships, yeah, it, it often goes completely unchecked. Yes. All right. So we were talking about doing a season finale to season two, but having it available in video format as well, uh, which means if you're <laughs> listening, will be edited most likely, but the video will not, uh, just for obviously for containment and time purposes. But for sure, that's going to be fun. I think. It'll give you guys a whole other dynamic to see us together and to see us in general.